praise, Gary comes. Lord, we just lift up Gary and we pray that you would give him your anointing today, that he would bring your word to our hearts. Please may our hearts be open to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please. Okay, thanks all. And I'm on the... O trampled death, where is thy sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. It's, it's great. I love that song. Um, a couple of things before I get started proper. Uh, Rosie informs me that there is things for the younger members in the far corner over there, that way. Uh, if they want to do something other than listen to me <laughs> during, during this time. No, please, please do go and grab something now or, or later on if your children are getting a little bit restless. Uh, I also wanted to take the chance to mention the creation course. This is something I'm offering this autumn. Uh, it's been in the newsletter, uh, but I haven't been here particularly to say anything about it. Um, I've had a few people ask questions like, who is it for? Well, it's for old people. Uh, and young people, and people in between, and people who've forgotten how old they are. Um, it's for anyone who, who wants to respond to the way atheists sometimes use the theory of evolution to deny the existence of God. Uh, and it's guided by what the Apostle Peter said, always be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you, and to be able to respond to this sort of challenge it's just one part of that. It's certainly not the whole of it, but it's one part. So uh, if, if that grabs you, then uh, email me. I'll take a little piece of paper from here or uh, come and talk to me at the end. So that's, uh, that's the plug done. So this week we are on to the third chapter of First Thessalonians. Um, it says... A letter that's addressed from Paul, Silas, and Timothy, those three companions. I think most scholars say this is actually Paul writing. So I, I'm going to just refer to what Paul says, because um, if I have to say Paul, Silas, and Timothy every time, the sermon will be about twice as long, um, which will be great. But yeah. um, So they write, they write with grace and peace to the church in Thessalonica, or Thessaloniki, as it would be in the Greek. And they have something to say. Now, this is chapter 3, uh, but I'm going to focus on verses 12 and 13. There's these fantastic words of blessing in the middle of the letter. Um, so I'll just read, read that out. I'm reading from something called the Berean Literal Translation, um, which tries to get as close as possible to what the original language is saying. And I'll explain towards the end why I'm using that particular translation. It might be slightly different to, to what you see if you have a Bible with you. Here it, here it is. May the Lord make you to increase and to abound in love toward one another and towards all, just as also we towards you, in order to strengthen your hearts, blameless in holiness, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. It's, it's just a great statement of blessing. I could spend the next 20 minutes or so just kind of reading it again and again. It's, it's kind of worth it. But hey, I've got some other stuff to say as well. So, but I, but I, will, I will come back to it and I will read it again 
and try to say something more about it. Um, but this is a turning point in the letter. It's where Paul turns away, turns away from the thanksgiving and the rejoicing, the affectionate recollections that he's been recounting to the Thessalonians. And he turns to instructions and explanations. So it's that, you have to see it as that kind of turning point. It's like a final blessing on that first bit, and then he's moving on. So I think we have to understand a bit of the context before we get to the grips with it. And I'm going to spend most of my time on the context, because then those two verses, to me, they just leap out in what they are saying. And so the, the first bit of context is obviously the earlier passages in this particular letter, what he's already been writing, if that makes some kind of sense. And the, this rapid run-through, all that is, Paul has on his heart. First, there's, there's thanksgiving for the way they've received the gospel, and he says, in the word and in power with full assurance. They've kept the faith, they've grown, they've witnessed to others. This is a church that he's planted and he sees as moving on. He's giving thanks for that. That they received the gospel in word to understand and be assured of God's grace and love. And they've seen and they've felt God's power through the Holy Spirit. They've got that package. As, uh, as Jesus put it, the true worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. They will have the Holy Spirit, the power, and they will have the word, they will have the knowledge, they will have the truth. I think back in the 70s, there was a great preacher called David Watson, who was one of the leaders of renewal in church in this country. And he, and he, he reinterpreted Jesus' words like, like this, we need both the truth and the spirit. All truth, and we dry up. All spirit, and we blow up. <laughs> we need both. The one feeds the other. The truth leads us to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us to the truth. And together we have power in witness and in our lives. A summer of refreshing. Shall we have a summer of refreshing? Would that be good? The truth and the word and the spirit and the power. That's, I believe, what will come. But Paul is, is giving this in thanksgiving. In joy, there is a contagious joy about the way he's writing to these people. It's a celebration of what God has already done and is still doing among them. He's not saying, you must do better. He's saying, you're doing well and God's got more for you. He's not angry. You want angry, Paul? Have a look at Galatians. Um, these are two of his probably earliest letters that we still have, 1 Thessalonians and, and Galatians. He's angry about in, in his letter to the Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians! Uh, sorry, sorry, I'm in church. Oh, oh foolish Galatians. Um, who has bewitched you? He's angry because they've given up on grace and they're turning back to the law. They're trying to do it for themselves again. Not so the Thessalonians. They understand because they've had Paul's example of what he's preaching and how he lives how Silas and Timothy with him they've given not just words but example of how they've lived among them and so Paul can confirm notice in the earlier passages the tense Jesus is delivering them not will deliver God calls them into his kingdom not will call 
And in contrast, wrath has come on those who oppose Jesus and his church. Paul is writing about a present reality of their status before God, not a future possibility. So he's thankful and joyful and he knows everything great that's happening among the Thessalonians. And yet he's still concerned. I mean, to me, his, his letter comes across a bit like a, a parent whose child has gone away from home for the first time, maybe to university, to a job, to maybe even to another country. And he's, he's happy, but regretful. He's confident, but worried. He's making the phone call. Did phones ever look like that? I, I don't know. Anyway, he's making the phone call that says, I, knew, I, I know you'll be okay, but I just want to know you're okay. I know you'll be fine, but I just want to know you're fine. And so much so that they've just sent um, Timothy to visit, and, he's, and Timothy has come back with, with great news. They're doing just fine. So there is that concern that's kind of been satisfied and yet not, because Paul is still longing to go and see them. He, he just wants to be there face to face. He knows there's so much that he didn't have time in his brief visit there before he was pretty much forced out with opposition and persecution that the Thessalonians also will now be facing. So in these early passages, Paul's been on this emotional roller coaster, the joyful receiving of the gospel, the, the persecution, the worry, the reassuring news, and the residual desire just to, to get out there and be with them. So that's where it's coming from. Now, note what Paul isn't putting in here. He's not putting in a basic message about the gospel. He doesn't need to, because he's already done that with them. <laughs> These are believers. He's trying to encourage them, not convert them. He's certainly not condemning them. He knows these people. He knows that they know the gospel. He doesn't need to repeat the basics here. He's, leading, he's encouraging them and leading them forward. So as a background, you also need to know what he's already been saying to them, which we don't know exactly because it's not recorded. But we do have what he's saying in other letters. And I think out of this, you can get the gist of the kind of teaching he's already given the Thessalonians. That Jesus Christ and him having been crucified, that, that's kind of the, the core of his message. We're not under law. Forget the law. We're under grace. You will not make it by your own effort, by works. You, you pretty much condemn yourself if you try to do it yourself and don't accept the grace of God. We have died and now live in Christ. That's happened. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is like the core of Paul's teaching that the Thessalonians will know. Uh, I think that Titus chapter 3, I think to me, sums it up brilliantly. I love this passage. Titus chapter 3. He saved us, not by the righteous deeds we've done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of new birth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we would become heirs, with the hope of eternal life. The work is done, says Paul, saved by Jesus, justified, washed clean, renewed by the Holy Spirit, righteous according to the Father's judgment because he sees Jesus' righteousness, not our wrongdoing. 
Hold that thought. In fact, if you hold no other thought, hold that one. Because then Paul moves on after today's passage. He's got more to say. And it's strange that the next, very next verse, chapter 4, verse 1, in most translations it starts, and finally, and then he goes on for another two chapters. Um, finally, I, I, I struggle to why it's translated in that way. It's not the, really the sense of it. The sense of it is more, the, the Greek is lipon, if you, if you want to check it out. Um, it's rather from now on, henceforth, beyond that. So it's a statement of moving on from what he's just said, uh, more or less as a consequence. Because of all I've been telling you, encourage one another. You know, pastors can only do so much. We encourage one another. That's what he wants the Thessalonians to do because he can't be there with them. He wants them to live in a, in a certain way, to live worthily of the gospel that they've received. Holy living for him needed some explanation. These people are new converts living in a pagan society. They need some encouragement and direction not to be left alone, just from their own understanding. After all, we can all be misled to what seems normal or acceptable in our own society. Thessalonians were no different. And they were facing real challenges from the way things were done in that great city of Thessaloniki. He also goes on to say something about Jesus' return, um, which I won't go into, because that's for later, a later sermon. Now, if I come back to this particular passage, I haven't forgotten that this is my text, 1 Thessalonians 3. Oops, sorry, going back. Go back. I, it's not just the center of the letter. It's the center of a conundrum. <laughs> Why? Why does Paul say on the one hand that our salvation is a completed work by Jesus, by God's grace, but also live in a way that is pleasing to God? Now, you might think the answer is obvious, um, but I think people do get tied up with this. So I want to go into it a little bit. And it, it, to me, it comes down to this, how heavy a halo do you want to have to carry around? I, the more we try to say we're going to be better and better and God will be happy and eventually he might forgive us and save us. And if I do lots of good, maybe that will balance the wrong that I do. No, it's a completed work. This is, that, that halo, if there is one, is, is God's gift. It's not something you have to go and claim, design, fashion, and somehow support in your own strength. So, why? Why should we live in a way that's pleasing to God? Well, you might have lots of answers of your own, and, it, and as I said, it, it, it might seem obvious, but let, let's have a look at it, because I think it's worth rehearsing. I think it's just a natural response <laughs> to what God has done for us. There is... It's gratitude. Um, one great writer, uh, Thomas Erskine, said, Doctrine, that's grace. Ethics, that's gratitude. That's it. <laughs> we respond with gratitude. Of course, 
because of what God has given us. He has already made us citizens of the kingdom of God. We're not struggling to become citizens of the kingdom of God. We're trying to live as good citizens of that place. Why would we not want to be? <laughs> Particularly because of the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, you should, you, surely you want to, and also you can, empowered and, and guided by the Holy Spirit. That's why in, in chapter 1, Paul talks about our gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. He talks of the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he comes back in chapter 5. Do not quench the Spirit. That's how and why. It's almost like we don't have to make the effort. Great preacher Michael Eaton said, if you follow the Spirit deliberately, you will fulfill the law accidentally. You don't have to keep thinking about it because you're responding to God's grace and you have the Holy Spirit. And, and quite simply, it, it's good for yourself and others. It is healthy to be living God's way for yourself and for everyone around you. And to Paul, it's also for witness and for encouragement to live in the way that is, that is pleasing to God it is a witness to believers and to unbelievers, but, but without stress, because it should come naturally out of the joy and the gratitude for salvation. Uh, I'm going come turning to Titus again, Titus chapter 2, where Paul is, in, is saying, how should the Cretans be instructed to live? And he gives reasons why they should live in a certain way. Reasons such as, so that the word of God will not be discredited verse 5. So that anyone who opposes us will be ashamed, having nothing bad to say about us, verse 8. To adorn the teaching about God our Savior. So it's part of witness and encouragement. The salvation is granted. The Holy Spirit has come. We live in a way that's pleasing to God because of what God has done, not because of what we want him to do. I could put it in another way and simplify this. What kind of good child is it better to be? A child who is good for fear of parents' anger or good in response to parents' love? Um, check with your children if you have them. Check with your parents if you have them. Check with yourself what is better. Um, and, and Jesus put it like this in Luke chapter 11. What father among you what parent among you could say, if his son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. So if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? To whom will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? To those who ask him, to those who turn to Jesus and want to receive the Holy Spirit. So now, let's look at this again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. What, what's it saying in the middle of this, this letter? Who initiates the process? May the Lord make you. This is, this is God's initiative. This is what he is saying. How does it work? Yeah, to increase and abound in love toward one another and toward all. 
This is, this is the, the love that Paul is commending the Thessalonians for and wants them to abound in. What's the effect? To strengthen your hearts, blameless in holiness, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Strengthen, again, the, the, the Greek, if you're interested, is sterizo, which, strictly speaking, means to fix firmly, to hold fast, uh, or to direct oneself towards something. Imagine a tree with deep roots. That's what Paul wants them to be, to be planted with strength in their roots, to be held firmly and not move. Not a seed that finds no root in shallow ground. And again, this is again why I like the literal translation. To strengthen your hearts blameless in holiness. Not strengthen your hearts to become blameless. That's something that translators add to try to make it a bit easier to read. <laughs> strengthen your hearts blameless. It's like that's what you are. Strengthen your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with whom? With all his saints. Uh, that, that's, that's all believers, by the way, not just the ones that the Vatican recognizes. <laughs> with all, with all his saints. That's all of you. To be strengthened, to be blameless, to be in holiness at his coming. So encourage one another with this. Encourage that this is done to support others in faith, in word, and in power. I think we can all be pastors. We all should be pastors. Don't all get paid for it, but we should all be pastors. And how we express our faith. So, uh, just to conclude, be a tree with deep roots. Live in knowledge of God's favor. Deep gratitude for it, not striving to earn it. Respond to his favor in our own lives. Encourage and support one another to live out our faith. So as the, as the band come back, we're going to worship a little bit more. Can I invite you to stand? Because I think this is a time to receive a message, to receive ministry. If there are those from the prayer ministry team here, could you please come forward and be ready to pray? Um, I guess over, over here. Um, maybe you've got unfinished business from last week when Nick preached. There is physical or emotional healing that you're still seeking from God. Now's the time. If you need reassurance and that you have God's blessing, then as we, as we sing, uh, pray for yourself, pray for your neighbor, come forward or come forward at, at the end and you know, just pray for each other. Anyone you see needs pray, pray for them. You don't need to interrogate them or find out what it's about. Just seek God's heart, seek his word and pray blessing over them. You can, uh, can use this blessing if you like or just, just your own words and pray blessing on yourselves and your neighbors as we sing our final songs. Thank you, Scott. Mm-hmm.